Today, we're, we're starting a brand new series called Real Jesus. In fact, that's part of our, our vision here at Vima and something that we hope to accomplish here, being a church here in Wichita, is that we want to see Wichita experience the real Jesus. And so for the next uh, few weeks, kind of leading up until Easter, we're going to be in this series and kind of unpacking who we think the real Jesus is. Uh, And the way we're going to do that is we're going to be looking at some specific encounters that people actually had with Jesus. And so we're going to be looking at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to be looking at stories, not not necessarily words that Jesus spoke, even though there's some, some dialogue in there, but specific encounters, specific experiences that people had. And, and so we're going to be kind of unpacking that. You know, in, in today's society, I think that there's a lot of people that probably believe in Jesus. They, they believe in the idea of Jesus. They, uh, especially around Christmas time, you got the, the manger, you know, Jesus, the, the baby Jesus. And then at Easter time, you have the, the crucifixion Jesus. And people want to believe in a Savior. They want to believe that, I think a lot of people want to believe that someone loves them so much that they would give everything they have for them. I think that's a, an actually a very uh, wide and open belief that people would want that for their lives. Like, I want to believe that someone would love me in spite of me. And so I think some people believe that. I think a lot of people probably, some people probably, you know, but they believe in the historic version. They look at the Bible and they say, well, it's a history book. Um, some people may even believe he's a good man. Some people maybe even believe he's the son of God. But just because people believe those things doesn't necessarily mean they've really experienced Jesus. In fact, I know this because God's word talks to us a little bit about this in Matthew, that not everyone who says they know something about God or has maybe heard about God or maybe even seen or, or been a part of God, maybe even knows some of God's word, do they actually have, they really experienced the real Jesus. And so this whole series is about that, is about us trying to dive a little deeper into a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. And I think one of the best ways we can do that is not just talk about him, not just sing about him, but actually look at specific stories where people, their lives were changed because they experienced him. They experienced the real Jesus. But like I said, I don't know that everyone has believed that. And here's, here's how I know that. And this is um, today's topic, John chapter 12. Uh, we're talking worship and Mary knows Jesus. But in Matthew, it says this, not everyone who calls out to me, and I think I have this in here. Yeah, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. So then he goes on to say this. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. So we see in this scripture, there's a difference between knowing about God and actually knowing him. And I think the difference is when we really experience Jesus. It's not just this idea or this fairy tale or this belief that God is there or someone created us or there must be some bigger power or something's got to be working on in the heavens and, and I don't understand it all, but I believe there's something bigger than me. That's not enough. What, what this scripture is telling us is that there's actually got to be something a little deeper than that. And I think we'll unpack that when we actually look at some stories where people had life-changing experiences with God. And I, this, this last line, man, I don't know if this does this to you, but when I read this, I never knew you. Like that kind of almost spills, sends a, a chill down my spine. That there's people who would even say they love God, people that would say, Lord, Lord, people who's done good things for God, maybe even people, I mean, this is the way this sounds, people who even serve in church, who attend church, who God will say, I never knew you. 
And in fact, at, at Vima, one of our missions here uh, is to help people know God, grow in freedom, discover their purpose, and go make a difference. Those four different things. And know God, we believe the best way we can help people know God is by coming together on the weekends. We think this is a vital part of us knowing God better. When we open up God's word and we, we dive into it and learn about him and when we come together and we sing and we worship together, when we serve together, when we give together, we believe that plays a big part in the trajectory of our faith, that that helps us know God. And that's why weekends are so important for us. Uh, so this next series, the whole purpose of that is to help us dive into these encounters as we find in God's word with the intent purpose on us having experiencing the real Jesus. My goal, my hope in this series and even today is that you don't just know about him, you don't just make a decision or check off some sort of this new understanding or new learning today, but that you would really actually experience Jesus. Because I believe when you do that, it, this changes right here. It goes from I never knew you to I knew you well. And so today we're gonna be unpacking John chapter 12, verses one through eight. Um, and we're, we're talking about the story of, of Mary and when Mary anoints Jesus' feet. And so we're kind of dri- diving right into that. And so I'm gonna jump right into this scripture just to kind of get us going today. John 12, verses 1. And this is in your little worship guide. If you got one of those, we've got this scripture in there for your notes today. It says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Verse 2. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from her pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said, so Jesus' response back to that, he said, Not because he cared about the poor, because he was a thief. Or no, this is talking about Judas, sorry. Not because it's a little little uh, understanding what we're asking about Judas here, what we're learning about Judas. He said, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself that what was put into it. So, so we have uh, Judas was skimming the top. Judas was the treasurer. He's getting the money. And when they would get, gather up money to, to feed or to make a travel arrangements or any of the things that Jesus was doing with his disciples, we get a little picture right here. John showing us that they knew that Judas was, he was taken off the top. He's, he was thieving. Verse 7, Jesus said, leave her alone. So now this is Jesus' response to Judas. So that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you you always have with you, but you do not always have me. So in this story we see Jesus, there's there's some people and they're hanging out. And I just want to kind of paint the picture here just so you can understand what's really happening. Jesus, if you go to John chapter 11, is where we see where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. So Jesus goes, he's, he's late in, in Mary and Martha's eyes because he was sick and they told him while he was still sick, but Jesus didn't get there until he died. Then Jesus comes in and does one of the greatest miracles of all times and he raised Lazarus from the dead after he'd been dead for days. They said he, there was even an odor coming from the tomb. I mean, so he was dead, dead. He was stanky dead. And, and so Jesus does something crazy and Judas, well, when, that, when uh, Lazarus comes up from the, comes from the dead, it People didn't know how to respond. It says some, it says many believed, if we keep reading. And then it also says many turned and they took this information and went straight to the religious right. And they went and told Caiaphas and the high priest and said, Jesus is doing some crazy stuff, y'all. And, and so, so the, the crowd kind of split there. And when that happened, things started uproaring. And so Jesus leaves. 
because it's not yet time. So Jesus leaves, and he, he's out in the wilderness, and so now this picture what we have right here in John chapter 12 is Jesus actually coming back to Bethany. So Jesus was in Bethany, raised Lazarus from the dead. The people, some liked it, some didn't, so Jesus leaves because it wasn't quite time for him to die yet, goes into the wilderness, and now it's the Passover, six days to the Passover, and all the Jewish people would go, any of them that could, would go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And so Jesus, being a, a Jewish man, he's on his way back. And in fact, we know that, that uh, Caiaphas and the priests are actually plotting. They're, they're hoping that Jesus is dumb enough to come back. Like they're hoping that he's going to step foot into the city. And when, they, when he does, they're going to get him. So Bethany is on the way. So Jesus stops by Bethany. He's hanging out with Mary, Martha, Lazarus. With, if you read the Gospels, you know they're his friends. They're people he hanged out with regularly. And it's quite possibly that they're throwing this dinner for Jesus because when he raised Lazarus from the dead, it creates such an uproar, they didn't get to quite thank him well enough in that moment. I mean, I imagine just what, if you read the scripture, like he maybe had to get out of town quick, and that happened often with Jesus. So now Jesus is coming back. It's, things have chilled out. It's been a couple weeks, and he's hanging out, and they're having dinner. But in this story, we have four characters, and I want, I want us to look at these characters today. Four characters here. The first one is Martha. So we've got Martha. And Martha is there and she's serving. She says that she's going around, she's preparing food, she's getting things done. She's, that's, her, that's her, and in fact, we see this several times with Jesus in their house, that Martha is serving. Um, that's her gift, that's what she loves to do. So Martha's serving. The second character is Lazarus, and we see he's reclined. So Lazarus is there, he's sitting back, he's chilling, he's got his feet propped up on the table and was like, hey, I was dead a few days ago, guys, uh, you bring me something to eat, like this, 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 uh, this bread tastes better than ever. You know, like I'm sure in those moments he's cherishing things different than he ever has before. Every breath means something different. The conversation means something different. Having people in his house and eating and celebrating probably meant something more to him than anyone else because he had just been dead. So he's reclining, he's chilled, he's like, man... Nothing, nothing can happen. This is amazing. So then we got Mary. Mary in the story, we see that she takes the ointment. She goes to Jesus' feet. She takes her hair and washes the feet of Jesus. This is an act of worship. Mary, Mary recognizes who Jesus is, and so she takes this time to worship Jesus. And then the last character in the, in the story, we got Judas. And so Judas, he complained. He's like, why are we wasting this money on Jesus when there's poor people out there that don't have anything to eat? Why, why are we doing this? And we know when we read the story, because John gives us a little dialogue there, that he's not really concerned about the poor. What he's concerned about is him. And, and oftentimes, people who complain a lot, they may act like they're complaining for something else, but really it's, it's, there's a selfish motive behind it. So if you know some complainers, uh, just be careful. There, Judas is a, is a great example of someone who's complaining on behalf of others, but in the, in the bottom line, he's all self-centered. And so you have these very different people. Martha's serving. Lazarus is reclined, Mary's worshiping, and Judas is complaining. And so in this, in this little picture that we see right here, this is not so different than us, and here's why. Many of us have experienced Jesus, yet how we respond often looks so different. So you got these four characters, all of them were there when Jesus raised Lazarus from, Lazarus from the dead. Every one of those guys was there. Yet Mary is the one who's at the feet of Jesus worshiping. So every one of them had a similar experience with Jesus. They saw, in fact, many of them probably saw Jesus do other miracles. They were with him, and, and we know that Mary would follow him places and, and, and love to be around him. And the disciples, they were obviously there. And Lazarus and Martha were his friends. Even if they weren't present, they heard the stories of what Jesus was doing. 
So all these people have a very similar experience, yet how they worship is different. And I think that happens in, in every church all across America every weekend. Many of us maybe have experienced Jesus. Maybe we've had a moment where we said, God, you're good. I need you. Like my life is messed up. My life is broken. I desperately need you. Jesus, would you save me? Yet how we worship looks different. Yet how we res respond to God's word is different. Yet how we respond to church is different. And so we're not so different than the people in the story. I'm not calling any of you Judas. Maybe you're more of a Martha or Lazarus. I would call none of you Judas. But, but we all respond differently, even though we've been experienced or experienced some similar things. You know, it made me think about this. When I was uh, eight years old, my family, we took our first trip to Disney World. It was amazing. Like, I, I was so ecstatic to go to Disney World. We drove. My dad had one of those um, uh, Ford vans that had the ladder on the back. You ever seen those? Like, it's giant, like the, like the A-team, kind of big, that big-sized van. And it had captain seats in the front, captain seats in the middle, and then a bench seat in the back that folded down to a bed with a card table, like, in the middle. So you could turn the captain seats, and everyone could play cards with no seat belts. Um, you know, and we all lived. I'm still here, you know. So it's amazing what we lived through back then before all these safeties and regulations and all stuff. So I remember, like, the drive up there, my me, mom, and pop, pop, my dad's parents went with us. And I remember the expectation, like, of going to Disney World, driving from Arkansas to Florida. I remember stopping in Alabama to see the battleship there. Like, I can remember all these moments. I was eight. And it was incredible. Like, so much expectation, so many things I was excited about. And then we get to Disney. And, man, it's like, when Disney, like, if you've been there before, there's, like, 18 different ways to get in. You can ride the tram. you got a parkway out there. You can kind of see it, but you can't see it. But when you go through those giant that giant like arch that you go through and it says Disney on it. Like there's just something that happens inside of you. It's like, it must be, it's like if you, if I can imagine heaven being amazing, like this kind of paints a little bit of a picture. Like something as a kid, you're just like, oh my goodness, we're going to be in Disney World. So you go through that giant arch, you pull in there. And I remember, so we're walking in and I'm eight, I've got a brother that's uh, six and I've got another brother that's five. So it's three of us at this time. And I'm the oldest of six kids. So my parents had us in chunks. They had three of us, and they thought, no more. And then they tried to have a girl, and they did, and then two more came, you know. And so I don't, if you don't know how that works, that's another message another time. Um, but so it's just the three of us now, and so, so we're excited. We're walking in, and then I remember seeing the very first character. Like, we're walking in, and I see Donald Duck with, and we're at the uh, Universal Studios, not Universal Studios, uh, Epcot. We're at Epcot, and Donald Duck's got a sombrero on. So it's, the, it's, the, it's the, the, the Hispanic version of Donald Duck, and he's got a poncho. And I, I remember, like, you know, being so excited, like, there's Donald. Let's go take a picture. Can I get his autograph? We had these little autograph books. And, you know, they sign it, and, like, I'm so excited. So we run up there. Even though all three of us, me and my two brothers, we all walked into Disney the same. We drove the same van ride up there. We all were raised in the same household. We had a very different experience when we saw Donald Duck. Let me show you here. So this is us. Here's me. Pure amazement. I mean, you can see it in my eyes. You see that? Like, I'm ecstatic. Like, oh, it's like there's the, the light coming from heaven. And I'm just like, this is amazing. This is my brother Grant, and he's worried. He's like not quite sure. You can see it in his eyes. He's like smiling, but I'm not like, I don't trust this dude next to me. Like, he's kind of creepy. And then my brother Seth, and what you can't hear is him screaming hysterically like Donald's about to eat him. <laughs> I mean, this, he is like going ballistic, and he 
This, and of course, when you're little, when you're five, you think if they can't see me, they can't kill me, right? You know, so I don't know if you ever like got scared at night and you're afraid something's going to grab you from under the bed. So what do you do? You run and you jump into your bed and then cover your head, right? If I can't see them, it's, they can't get me. And that's what he's doing right there. Well, Donald Duck did not change in that moment for the three of us. Like the, Disney was not different for the three. We experienced the same thing, yet our response to Donald was much different. You know, and I think that's, that's how kind of we approach God sometimes, how we approach church sometimes. It's why it's so, so cool and why it's, I think it's so beautiful that when we approach God, how it looks so different, that we each have a different story. We each have a different experience, and hopefully none of you are approaching God like this. Um, you know, but sometimes we may be approaching God like, I'm not quite sure. You're like my brother Grant, and that's still how he is today. He's very, he's like a worry wart. Like he just, he just, everything, he wants to know all the details about everything before he does anything. And so kind of approaching that way. But I think that we kind of do that. We kind of approach God different ways. And this is something else I know, that as we spend more time with God, the longer we know God, our approach changes. So you look at the story of Mary, and Mary is talked about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in Luke chapter 10, 10 before Lazarus dies, Mary's at the feet of Jesus just listening. It says that Martha's busy preparing the house, and Mary's sitting listening, and Martha gets mad at Mary, and they get in a little, little fight, and then Jesus has to break it up and tells them, you know, hey, this is okay. In fact, what Mary's doing is important because she understands this is worship, and she's sitting there listening. Well, then Lazarus dies. Jesus comes to town late, raises him from the dead. Well, now Mary's response is not sitting and listening at the feet of Jesus. Now she's weeping, worshiping, adoring the foot, foot of Jesus. Her approach changes. Well, then Jesus dies on the cross, and Mary's there, and she sees most of it. And Jesus is now in the tomb, and Mary's going to bring what last of the ointment, the last of the fragrance, the last of the oil to, to put on Jesus as part of his burial situation. And so Mary's on her way there, and then she gets to the tomb, and it's open, and he's not there. And these angels speak to him and tell her not to be afraid, which I don't know how you're not afraid in that moment. I mean, there's a, a dude that was dead, and now this thing's opened up, and this is crazy. And then Jesus speaks to her and says, hey, I want you to go back and tell the disciples what you've experienced, to tell the disciples that I've risen. So she goes from just sitting to worshiping to mourning to then testifying the gospel. She was the very first person that the gospel was entrusted with, the, the fact that Jesus died and then rose again. Jesus entrusted that with Mary. Well, Mary, if you look at her story, she had very different approaches to Jesus. And this is, this is, this is what's cool, not... I think this is true for us. Our worship should grow as we know God better. So you see Mary, as, as she learns to know God, her worship is growing. She goes from sitting and listening, re recognizing he's smart, recognizing there's something to this guy, there's something to what he says, there's something to his presence, and I just want to be close to him, to then worshiping, to then mourning, to then testifying. There's a progression, and as she knows God more, as she knows God better, then her worship is growing. Her faith is growing. You know, I think this is true for us. The closer I get to God, the more I realize I need him. And I think but that's not always the case. I think sometimes, and, and I don't want to step on any toes here, so none of you here, just uh, maybe other churches in Wichita, but I think sometimes Christians, as they get better in their faith, as I quit doing the things they used to do and they kind of grow and become closer to God, become better Christians, sometimes we, if we're not careful, we can get this idea that we've graduated past grace. That I'm good enough now that I don't have to approach God the same way. 
And see, there's something that happens if you can remember the moment when you first realized you needed saving. There's something that happens when the first moment when you recognize, I am not good. I am broken. I have sin. I have mistakes. I have a past. I have a burden. Something that happens when that breaks you and you go to the foot of the cross and you go to Jesus and say, I need you. There's something true and authentic and passionate and pure about that worship. But if we're not careful, the longer that we are there and the longer that we're at the feet, the more we start to feel like, well, I'm not the person I used to be, so I must not need the same grace that I used to need. We never graduate past grace. And in fact, the closer that we draw, the closer we draw to God, the more we should realize, I am so far from him. I need him more. I need him more. There's no amount of good that I can do that will ever justify the bad that I've done. And so it's not about an exchange. Worship is not about, an ex- it's not about me doing something for God because I hope he's going to do something for me. Worship, and see, this is what Judas had all mixed up. He thought, what can I get from God? He thought, Jesus, like, we sell this stuff, and I'm going to skim the top. What can I get? What can I get? And here's Mary going, not what can I get, what can I give? In fact, what she gave, the gift that she gave, that was equivalent to 300 denarii, which is a year's wages, which in that time was going to be about $25,000 today is what she gave. Yet we have Judas selling out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, the equivalent of $1,000. Mary gives 25, a, an excessive gift. I mean, it's just this, this lavish gift of just, God, you're so good. Jesus, you're so good. I love you so much. And she pours it on his feet and washes his feet. And here's Judas accusing her of not thinking about the poor, not thinking about this. Yet at the same time, he sells Jesus out for 1000 Judas' approach is, what can I get from God? Mary's approach was, what can I give to God? And there's something about that when we recognize that we're so far from him that everything that I have, there's no such thing as an excessive gift to God. In fact, there's no such thing, there's nothing that I can do to ever earn what he's done for me. In fact, if God never did another thing for me, I still can never repay what he's already done. The fact that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us It's so big. It's so unfathomable. I mean, when I think about it, I'm just so overwhelmed by the goodness of God. There's nothing that I can do to earn the life of a person. There's nothing that I could do. Yet, that's how much God loves us. And so we've got this picture of of Mary, and she's pouring out this expensive ointment on on Jesus' feet, this perfume. And she's wiping the feet with her hair. And and Matthew's gospel says that she poured the, the perfume on his feet and on his hair. And his head, his feet and his head. And, and John, it just says the feet, but when you look at the whole story in the different gospels, we get two pictures there. And it's really important. So when you think of Mary, she's at the feet of Jesus. She's bowed down. And think about how close that she has to get to the feet of Jesus to wash his feet with her hair. And if you don't know this, in, in biblical times, the, the, the hair of a woman was her most prized possession because it was the only thing that was really seen by men. It was the only thing that was really seen by anyone because they would wear skirts covered down to their ankles they're almost Amish kind of thing going on there and and so like this was it was they would invest a lot of money in the things they would put in their hair and the, the the fragrances their hair would have and that's the thing the thing that she cherished the most the thing that women cherished the most that's the thing that she chose to wipe the mud and dirt and soot off of the feet of Jesus so here she is her her head having to be all the way at his feet I mean all the way down wiping his feet crying and and worshiping him with everything that she has and she's anointing the feet of Jesus with this with this perfume and in fact what she doesn't recognize and Jesus does is that she was actually preparing him 
for burial. When they would prepare someone for burial, when they prepare someone to be, to be put in a tomb, they would always start with the feet, with their fragrances, with their oils, with their embalming. They always started at the feet and worked its way up. And so she's thinking, I'm just worshiping. I, I don't, I can't, I don't, I'm not good enough to do anything else. This is where I'm going to start. What she didn't recognize was she was actually starting a trajectory for Jesus. She was preparing something for Jesus. She was starting something for him. And Jesus actually notified this a little bit later in that scripture. He says that she's preparing me for a burial. So she's washing his feet. That's the truest act of humility. But then she goes and she puts oil or this fragrance, this perfume on his head. Well, if you think about, if you know anything about the Bible, if you study the Bible at all, can you think of anyone else that had oil put on their head? Maybe back in the Old Testament, anyone? David. David. What was that to signify? The anointing of the king, right? Samuel comes up to David and pours oil on his head and says, you're going to be king. So in that same moment, Mary is there. This is so cool. It's so beautiful. She's anointing the feet of Jesus, the lowest part, the humility, the grace. And what's cool is that just a few chapters later, Jesus goes to the feet of his disciples. He goes to the dirtiest, the darkest places and says, I'm going to go there too for you. But Mary's there and she starts there to prepare him for burial. But then in the same moment of the preparation for burial, she's also anointing him as king. There's something about that moment that's so beautiful because she recognizes, well, I don't know if she recognized it, but we can recognize it here in this moment that when we worship God at the lowest parts, when we come to God with humility, we come with God and say, God, I need you. That in that same act of worship and adoration and desperation to God is not just me humbling myself, but it's also me lifting up God. It's also me saying, God, you are good. God, you are king. God, you are the savior. God, I thank you and I love you. So Mary's doing this beautiful thing. And this is what we can see in this picture right here. There's a scripture. I kind of just paraphrase it for you. Worship will cost you financially. $25,000 is what she invested into that moment to tell Jesus what she thought about him, to worship him. It'll cost her socially. She let down her hair, the prized possession of her as a woman, and used that to wipe the, the dirt, the soot, maybe even the manure that Jesus may have stepped through, and she's using her hair to wash his feet. And it costs her relationally. Disciples are in the back corner with their arms crossed going, what are you doing, woman? What a waste. What a waste. They're judging her. See, I think for us, a lot of us, maybe when we approach worship, we think about worship, at least maybe I'm the only one that's guilty of this, we think about worship as, like, do I like the song? Maybe you, while you sing those two songs, you're like, man, that first one's a little loud, which unapologetically we're a little loud. Um, so someone asked us on our Facebook page when we first were like talking about the church, promoting the church. She's like, are you going to be one of those loud churches? I just replied back, yes. <laughs> and so, so it was funny because she said, and I didn't respond to this, but I'll just tell you guys. And if you're in the room, you can come talk to me later. I'm not trying to make fun of you, but I thought it was funny. She said, you know, sometimes the music is so loud, I don't feel the Holy Spirit move. And I almost typed, I don't, that's funny because I don't feel the Holy Spirit move unless it is loud. So, so here's, one's not better than the other, and I, I like your amen because we're the same here. Um, but what that shows us goes back to the beginning that we all approach it a little bit different. And one's not better than the other. Vima's not better than any other church. In fact, there's a bunch of incredible churches here in Wichita. If you don't like it, I can point you to three or four that I love. In fact, I even told a pastor, said, hey, if Vima doesn't work out, can I work for you? There's a great church right down the road. And, and so, like, there's some great churches here. We're not here because there's not. We're not here because we think we're better or doing something different than anyone else. We're here because we feel like God's called us to. 
We're here because we're stepping in. Yeah, that's okay. We can clap for that. We're here because we feel like this is what God's called us to do, so we're walking in obedience. But we, our worship maybe looks different than some other people's, and that's okay. That's intentional. It's, we're worshiping the way we feel like we, we, we feel like is uh, adoring to God. And so this worship, it costs her financially, costs her socially, costs her relationally. It's a selfless devotion. It's an act of true worship. And when did this happen? This happened because she experienced the real Jesus. Everyone else in the room experienced Jesus, but something was different with Mary. Maybe it was because it was her brother. Maybe because she loved her brother so much and she saw what Jesus did for him and she thought, there's nothing that I have that's too much for him. Maybe it's because of what Jesus has done for her. Maybe Jesus spoke words to her, encouraged her. Maybe Jesus gave her hope and life and maybe Jesus healed her of something. I'm not quite sure of the whole story here, but I can tell you this, that there are a lot of people that saw what happened with Jesus and Lazarus, but Mary was the one that worshiped with this level, at, at this level. And so Jesus, in this, in this perspective, in this moment, we can see that Mary didn't just think that Jesus was a good man. She didn't just think he was born in a manger and was gonna die on a cross. She didn't just think he was even the son of God. She had a real experience with the real Jesus. She was no longer looking for the day that the Messiah was come. She recognized in that moment, he's here right now in front of me. And, and it was this incredible thing. So she worshiped with everything that she had. So the question is, and the question that Judas asked, is there not a gift that's too much? And Judas phrased, framed it like this. He said, uh, why was the ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And then he goes on in verse seven, he says, Jesus then responds to her. He says, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my bur- burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you will not always have me. I see some people, they've, they've preached a scripture and they've said, well, this is, a, this is justification for not give to the poor. Uh, and that's not what this is at all. Um, it's not what this is at all. This is not a scripture for you to ignore those in need. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying those that are hungry, don't, don't worry about them, just come to me. It's not a church or a pastor or me as a pastor saying, don't worry about those things, just put all your money here or just do all your stuff here. That's not the picture at all that Jesus is painting. What Jesus is saying in this moment is that this moment in his presence was worth more than any, anyone in that, in that room that night could imagine. This moment, what was about to happen, what Jesus was on his way to go do, this moment was so precious, there was no dollar amount that was too much to say, God, I love you. To say, Jesus, you're good. Jesus, thank you. And so when we look at this, and kind of as we're closing out here, and as the band makes their way up here, um, you know, see this story, and, and I, I told you this, that Judas, he sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, $1,000. Mary worshiped the feet of Jesus for 25000 And I only say those amounts just so you get a picture. Judas was there for what he could get, and Mary was there for what she could give, both present for a lot of what Jesus did while he was on earth, yet they had very different perspectives of the worth of Jesus. So my question for you today is, how do you view Jesus? How much worth do you attribute to him? If, if worship costs us financially, if it costs us socially, if it costs us relationally, has your worship ever cost you anything? Have you ever recognized Jesus? And I'm not taking an offering right here. We're actually going to worship a little bit. So don't worry. I'm not 
going after your money right here, but something about the things that we love, they get our attention in these areas. The things that we care about, the things that, that, we, that we hold on to and we cherish the most. I, I spend a lot of money on my, on my kids. Why? Because I love them. I, I want to see them have good things, and I want to see them do good things, and, and we've been saving up. We want to go to Disney, and like, like why do I want to do that? Because it's fun, and I want to see one of my kids cry when they meet Donald, you know, <laughs> and there will, it'll be our daughter. Like, our daughter is, she, like, we can't wait to get her to meet a princess, but we're also scared that if she meets the princess, it's going to be a big waste of money, um, you know, so, but like, when you, things that you love, things that you care about, they, they cost you in these areas, you're not concerned about what it looks like socially if you love God and if you love Jesus. And you're not concerned about people thinking, well, here are one of those weird Jesus people. You're not concerned about that. You're not concerned about relationally. You're, you're maybe out there telling your story and, and telling people about how good God's been to you. And even if they like it or don't like it, you're not concerned about whether they like you or dislike you based off of the story that you're telling. Because you know what God has done is so good that it's worth sharing. You know that God is so good that it's worth praising. It's worth worshiping. And so the question is this, has your worship ever cost you anything? And I'm not trying to sound chastising or judgmental to you. I just want you to think, have you ever come to God's house? Have you ever come to a place like this in worship and say, God, it doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter what I like or don't like, but you are good and I'm gonna worship you today. And here's our last thought before we kind of move into worship here today. It's a beautiful thing when the worth of Jesus and the worship of his followers are in unison. It's a beautiful thing when the worth of Jesus, meaning that we in this room, man, there's no telling how incredible worship could be if all of us in the room would give him the same worth. If we would look at him and say, God, you're so good. Jesus, what you did for on the cross, I can never do anything to deserve it. God, I need your grace. God, I need your love. God, you're so good. You love me so much. And I don't know why, because I mess up and I keep messing up. Yet every time I come to you, you're just there with arms open. God, I love you. I thank you because you're good. God, I thank you because you're faithful. God, I thank you because you're loving. God, I thank you because you sent your son for us. God, I thank you because you loved us even before we loved you. God, I thank you that before time began that you chose me. God, that you love me. That God, that you gave me a destiny and a hope and you want good things for me. God, I thank you because you are good. And when we can come in that presence, when we can come in that posture, when we can come recognizing the worth of Jesus, then when we come and do that as a, as a group, as a, as a church, our worship, man, it's so beautiful. And so here's my challenge for you today. We're gonna sing another song and we're gonna close out today with just another song. And here's, here's the reason why. Is I, I wanna give you an opportunity to... to Give your worship to God. Not about the song that you like or don't like. It's not about the things that you like or don't like. It's not about your perspectives. It's not about what I like or what I want you to do or what I'm hoping you get out of this. This is about you and God right now. It's about you saying, like Mary said, at the foot of Jesus, you're worth everything. Everything that I have, I'm gonna give it to you. I'm gonna wipe your feet with the hair on my head. Why? Because you're good. Because I love you. Because you saved my brother and I believe you saved me and I believe you're the Messiah. And so today, we're going to just take a moment. We're going to worship. And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to lift your voice, to worship God like maybe you never have before because I think he's worth it. If everyone would just stand in this room and I'm going to pray just a quick prayer to kind of transition us into this time. God, we love you. We thank you, God, that you're good. God, we thank you that you love us.
God, we thank you so much that you sent Jesus to this earth for us. God, there's nothing that we can give that would make up the gap at which your son filled by his death for us. But God, that's not gonna stop us from trying right now in this moment. God, we're gonna, we're gonna sing loud. God, we're gonna lift our voices. We're gonna lift our worship. Why? Not because maybe everything's good in our life. Not, maybe not because everything's how we hoped our life would be. Not because everything's perfect. God, maybe even in this room, there's people coming with, with needs. There's people coming saying, God, I need you. God, I've got dead things in my life that need to be brought back. God, I've got family members who don't know you, who are far from you, and I, it's weighing on me, and I, I don't, my, it's been getting in the way of my worship. God, I've got this bad doctor's report or this, this sickness that's been getting in the way of my worship. I've got these things that have kept me from giving all I have to you, but no longer, no more. In this moment, right now, let's set it all aside and give God all that we have because he is good.